we have them take the assessment and we look at what their strengths would be as far as what they offer to a team. And then we determine if that strength lines up with that particular role that they've applied for. If it doesn't, then we maybe try to find another role because sometimes, you know, great people, they need a seat on the bus, even if you didn't necessarily have a seat available. What I think is interesting about this topic, who not how, I was thinking about this, you know, beforehand, and then even as they put it up there, I mean, unless you kind of already have an idea of what that means, like, what does that mean, you know? Marketing mastery, investing, whatever, those are, uh, kind of have a concrete idea what those mean, but uh, we're going to jump in and figure out what who not how means. I'm excited about it. We're the mystery one. We're the, you know, choose your own adventure kind of (laughs) wild card thrown in. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. The mystery wild card. Andrea, Kelly, and I uh, got together last week to prepare for this meeting. And I promise you, there'll be no shortage of us talking and filling the time either. So, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, we seriously, though, we're very excited to prepare for this and um, and have some good conversations with you guys. So let's get into, uh, I'm just going to give a little setting the table here of what is Who Not How. Uh, This is from a book written by uh, Dr. Benjamin Hardy and Dan Sullivan with Strategic Coach. And basically, it's all about asking and answering this question that when you have something that you need to get done, stop asking, how are we going to get this done? And start asking, who is the right person to get this thing done? Sometimes the answer might be, who is somebody on our team? Sometimes it might be, who is the right resource outside of our team? But who is always going to be the right question to ask when you are trying to figure out how to achieve your goals. And this is generally speaking what's holding us back from our goals is just bandwidth and capacity. Um, I talked to a lot of property management companies and we all have big ideas, big goals we want to achieve. And it all boils down to the reason you haven't done it is just because you don't have that bandwidth and capacity in your team. You need to figure out how to delegate things more effectively internally within your team to free everybody up and get the who, not how question answered. So that's going to be how we approach this day. And we're just going to answer a few questions about how do we effectively redistribute work around our team to achieve the things we want to achieve. So the first question I have here for the panel is, how do I identify each other's superpowers or what Dan Sullivan calls unique abilities? And we talked about this ahead of time. You know, some people use personality profiles. Um, Some people really lean into their one-on-ones as a team. Uh, Sometimes it's just simply about asking each other and giving good feedback. We also talked about a great tool by Patrick Lencioni called Widget um, that we'll get into, but I'll open it up here to Kelly and Andrea. What do you guys think? What is the best way to identify each other's superpowers within your team? For you all who don't know me, I'm Andrea Hardaway. I'm the president and managing partner of First Property Management in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, We manage over a thousand doors and we're about eight and a half years old. Um, started out me and two other partners, but now it's, you know, we bought one out. So I have me and my partner and we have, hmm, I think we have about 15 team members. We've done some, we've done some recent hiring. So, you know, sort of being at the helm of this business 
one of the most important things I can do is make sure that we are taking care of our people, that we are placing people in roles they need to be in, that we actually feel like partners in the organization. And the best way to feel like partners is to allow people to operate in the places and the spaces where they are most powerful. What I quickly learned is asking people what their superpower is doesn't necessarily get it. Um, me as the president of the company, even a small company, people tend to tell me what they think I want to hear. People may tend to be a little uh, nervous about telling you things that it's easier to say what you hate sometimes than what you love. And they may be nervous to say what they hate. Of course, us as owners, we want to know what they hate because that helps us understand what, what they love. But um, Matthew mentioned a, a um, tool called Widget. And I can't say the author's name, but there is a book. And if you all have not gotten it, I highly, highly recommend it. And it's an online assessment and it is called Working Genius. And we actually use the Working Genius assessment before we bring anybody in on the team in a full-time capacity. We have them take the assessment and we look at what their strengths would be as far as what they offer to a team. And then we determine if that strength lines up with that particular role that they've applied for. If it doesn't, then we maybe try to find another role because sometimes, you know, great people they need a seat on the bus, even if you didn't necessarily have a seat available. So I'll go over real quickly and then I'll turn it over to Kelly. So, so widget, and I did have to, I did have to write this down and I do have to put these on because I'm over 40, over 40 now, but um, so widget, it's an, it's an acronym. So you're working genius. Either you operate in a place of wonder, meaning you are at that really high level and you can kind of see everything and, and you imagine like what it can be. You have people who are inventors, they create, they come up with strategies alongside you. These are typically your leaders, your supervisors. Then you have people who have discernment. So these are the people that you want sort of in middle management, maybe leading a project because they quickly understand if something's going off the rails, if it's a good idea or not. And they may not be able to articulate why, but they just, they have this real intuitive gut instinct about the direction of your company and they can tie things together really well. The G is for galvanizing. These are the people that get other people on board. Sometimes we have things that we have to push down for our teams to do. We have changes that we have to make. The galvanizers are the ones that are gonna be your voice and they're gonna be the ones talking in the break room and calling people and texting them, getting them on board with what you're doing to get the buy-in. Then we have enablers. They help empower other people to do their job. And then the last, we have tenacity. This is not my strength at all. Tenacity is the people that actually operate at that 10 to 100 foot level. And they are good with getting in, doing the dirty work, getting it done. They're typically the people that you have to say, okay, it's five o'clock, you know, get off work or it's the weekend. Let's try, let's try not to work. So everyone fits in one or two of those buckets. You usually have a top two, which is your genius. You have a middle two, which is sort of your competency. You can operate in that space, but you burn out. And then the bottom two, you're just frustrated and you prefer not to prefer not to do it at all. So that's a lot of words. But Kelly, I'm going to turn it over to you now. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, I have used a lot of different tools to discover what people's you know, business superpowers are. Um, one thing I know that we talked about in our previous meeting was the idea of using personality profiles. I've seen a lot of business owners who have used culture index or disc profiles or color methods or 
the Meyer Briggs profiles. And I think those are a great starting point to understand basic personality traits, but they're subjective. They're subjective to how the person felt when they took it, how they wanted to be perceived when they filled out the questionnaire. There's a lot of variables that make those not a really accurate picture of that person and their performance overall. But it's a great starting point if you're just looking at, hey, I need this kind of personality um, because I feel like they're going to be a great fit for our team and a great fit for this role. It's a jumping off point. I really feel like the value in finding someone's superpowers is in one-on-one interaction. Um, Having a regular cadence of weekly or every other week meetings with each of your employees with the sole purpose of being a support and getting to know that person is tremendously value. It adds tremendous value, not only in getting to know them and where their strengths are and where their weaknesses are, but it builds that rapport and it builds that relationship and that foundation to where if there are issues, they will be comfortable saying, Hey, you know what? I hate this or this part of our job sucks, or this owner sucks. And I think we need to fire them tomorrow because I can't handle them anymore. Like you need that kind of rapport with your employees, regardless of what it is that they're doing in your company. And, you know, I've seen people hand out a questionnaire and say, Hey, just tell me all your favorite things. Tell me all the things you're good at. But I even find that that's not very effective. It's not building that relationship. It's not allowing you to get to the root of what are these people great at? Mm -hmm. That's going to come through that one-on-one interaction and through really paying attention to and listening to the words that they say and hearing not only the words they say, but the words that they don't say. Listening between the lines and paying attention. Yeah, I totally love that. Um, I can't stress enough the importance of one-on-ones, and I find that I find that a lot of companies aren't really doing them, um, or maybe they're just not really sure how to do them or where to get started. And and I want to encourage all of you guys if you can take one takeaway from this um, panel discussion today, make it this takeaway to find a way to start implementing one-on-ones in your team because there's no shortcutting it. Uh, there's no BuzzFeed quiz about what's your spirit animal that's going to help you figure out, you know, what each other's superpowers are. Uh, you know, as Kelly said, this is only going to happen through, you know, intentional time that you're spending. And it doesn't have to be a long time. So for me, the way I do one-on-ones um, at my company is I generally do them every week or at least every other week, depending on, you know, the relationship. I book 45 minutes on my calendar for the one-on-one. But I only expect they're usually going to take like 10 to 15 minutes. Most weeks, they only take 10 to 15 minutes. But I book the 45 because I always want them to feel like that space is there. We can go as long as they need to. Um, And then the big thing is to not turn them into a working meeting. You know, it's not about, hey, what's going on with clients such and such? And where are we with this report, right? Like, you're going to have lots of other space in your business for those discussions. This is just very simply to ask them questions like, what do you like about your job right now? What do you not like about your job right now? Um, what do you wish? What is something you wish that you could get off your plate? Uh, what is something that's happening in the company that you wish you could do more of that you're not doing? Yeah, uh, Dave here is saying, yeah, I think it's always good to vent every now and then. Yeah, that that comes up. Actually, just today, personal example, uh, supposed to have a one-on-one with one of the key decisions. We, we had our weekly meeting today, uh, what like EOS calls a level 10. And it didn't go well. We normally rate our meetings like a nine or something very consistently. And today, everybody rated it like a two to a four. It was just a bad meeting. 
And my uh, one of my key staff persons, we were supposed to have our one-on-one this afternoon. And she said, hey, I want to skip the one-on-one today. And then she messaged me on Slack and is totally venting how frustrated she is. <laughs> but that's the whole point of the one-on-one, right? It's like, we need to process that and go see what's going on um, and get to the bottom of these things. You know, without that one-on-one, imagine if she didn't feel comfortable even venting to me on Slack or having the one-on-one the resentment that would build up over time of those little things like that that happen. So, you know, you need to have space for those things. Um, my rule of thumb also is no one person or company should be doing more than four one-on-ones. So, you know, if you have a team of eight people and you hear me saying, hey, everybody needs a one-on-one and they need to be every week and they're supposed to be 45 minutes and you're thinking, oh my gosh, like this is now going to take half my week to just do my one-on-ones. But it's not like that. Spread them out uh, throughout your business and, you know, and find a way to effectively um, get them done. So yeah, big, big fan of the one-on-ones. I hope you guys um, can take that uh, as a takeaway. And do look up um, Widget by Patrick Lencioni. I put that in the chat. That's what Andrew was talking about earlier with the six types of working genius. And you'll find that to be an effective tool for some good conversations as well. All right, Andrew and Kelly, before we move on to our next question, anything else to add here about kind of identifying each other's superpowers? If I could add something about the one-on-ones, just because, you know, I like to be really transparent. So I I have a couple of people that I have one-on-ones with every two weeks. And there's one particular individual and I called him in, you know, we had it on the calendar. He came in, he's usually like really upbeat and he has things written down and we talk. And this particular time he came in, he sat in my office and he's just like, can we make this quick? Cause I don't feel like talking about feelings today. And I was like, okay. You know, at first I was really, you know, thrown back by that, but I just told him, I said, you know what, if you've got other things you need to focus on, let me go ahead and let you get dismissed for this moment. So then I called my mentor who has nothing to do with the business. And his first thing was, well, that was like insubordination. And I said, well, no, I think it was human. You know, he probably could have said it in a different way, but I think it was a human response. So I reached out to that individual the next day and I asked him, could we have a conversation? I told him, I said, you know, as a person, it did bother me how you communicated with me. However, as a leader within this company, what bothers me the most is that you felt that your time with me wasn't going to be valuable for your role with this company. So tell me, like, let's spend this time talking about how I can be a better leader to support you, even in the hard times. And then he just went on and on talking about stuff that had nothing to do with work. His mom was sick, like all of this other stuff. All of this other stuff was going on. So I I think in the one-on-ones, it's more important to be an active listener. I think it's also important to be ready and willing to receive without getting offended because it's the most vulnerable time that people are going to share with you. And it's when you build human interactions that matter. Uh, The last thing I'll say, and um, we talked about this in our prep call, I actually do have skip level meetings. These are one-on-ones with anybody in my company. So, it, you know, if, if the, it's the director's report. So the director reports to me, he has managers, they have people. So I'll skip him and talk to his people. And then if they indicate something's needed, I'll skip them and I'll talk. And I'm very transparent with my team that I'm doing that. But the skip levels happen two to three times a year or any team member is able to request them. And I will tell you, there have been some great things that have come out of it for our team. We've had benefits added to our employee benefits. We've had a couple of people get raises in their salary. We've had people be able to go on a hybrid work schedule and work from home. We've done team lunches and outings. We've shut down the office one day to give people a mental health break. So we've done these things. And these are things I didn't necessarily hear 
from the managers, but what I heard from the people that, that are like in the trenches every day and they needed a break. And I've also gone and sat at people's desks with them for like three hours to help them with their work and to understand what they're doing because they felt that I was a bit disconnected. And those sorts of things, those sorts of activities really give them the assurance that I actually do care. So it is not about just, you know, lining my pockets and growing a big company. It is actually about appreciating them for taking the time to share this part of their career journey with a company that my partners and I set at Panera Bread and came up with. So people are giving up a big part of their life for an idea we had, and I don't take that for granted. So I try to show them in word, in deed, in follow-up action, and just with my whole presence to show them that I'm listening and that they matter. Awesome. Thanks for adding that. All right. The next question we're going to tackle here is, um, why is delegation so important and how can we do it effectively? I'll talk here a little bit. Uh, I'll open up this question by talking a little bit about what I call the some of the opposites of delegation. Um, one of the opposites uh, is pretty obvious. It would be a micromanagement. And we all have a pretty good sense of what micromanagement is like. And, you know, nobody loves being micromanaged. Um, but the other opposite that people don't often think as much about is abdication. And some people think that they're delegating when they're actually just abdicating, right? And so um, it turns out your team doesn't actually just want you to simply say, here, go do this. And that's it. That's all they ever hear from you, right? That's abdicating. You know, what they want is, here, go do this. Um, here's the direction we're going with this. Here's the tools and resources at your disposal in order to get this thing done. Um, here's an open door in case you have any questions or get stuck somewhere. You know, things like that. They want to feel that support, that training, that direction uh, in order to for it to be a positive delegating experience for both you and for them. But I know Kelly, especially, and Andrea, too, have a lot of exciting things to say about delegation. So I'll open it up to you guys to share more here about that. Yeah. Um, as far as delegation goes, I think there's a couple of things to remember when we're delegating tasks to other individuals. One is really the first thing that I like to do when I'm considering delegating something is one is decide, is it something that I'm willing to delegate? Is it something that I'm willing to pass that I don't feel like I have to have my hands on? Because the last thing that I want to do is delegate something and then feel out of control to a point to where I'm then smothering that individual and not allowing them to complete the task or really take control and ownership of whatever it is that I've passed. So before I delegate, I have to decide if it's something that I'm willing to delegate. I also have to think about what the other people that I want to delegate this task to who has the ability to accomplish this task, what is their capacity right now? And having a frank conversation with that employee of what do you have on your plate? Are there things that I can take off of your plate that are going to make this more manageable right now? You know, it doesn't always have to be an ad. It can sometimes be a, a shift of responsibilities so that they can be successful. And then the last thing is I want to make sure that I am setting them up to succeed. So whether it is that training component or whether it is a resource component or whatever it may be, I am helping them make sure that they have the tools so that they can know that they are successful in accomplishing that task that I have passed them because nobody wants to feel like they've failed. Something that I learned early on, because I'm a mom of four, uh, one of the things that I early learned on with my children was if I passed a task to them, I had to be okay 
with how they chose to accomplish it. So it might not be my way. They might not want to wash the dishes in the same exact way that I want to wash the dishes, or they might not want to, you know, take care of the laundry in the exact order that I would normally take care of the laundry. But I had to decide what does complete look like and what is good enough look like to where I could then set the expectation for them and then allow them to do it in their way, use their creative mind. You know, the task is, is still be, being done and to a, a standard that I am, I'm finding acceptable because I've set that standard with them, but it doesn't have to be my way. I think too long, too often we control the environments of the people that we have working under us and we don't allow them to the creativity, the ownership and the space and time to be able to come into that confidence and to really reach their potential as employees of ourselves. So I I love all of that, like every single thing you said. And I know in our, in our frank conversation, I guess I should say, hi, my name is Andrea and I'm still working on delegating. (laughs) So, you know, this is something that I'm trying to grow in, but I'm, I'm reading over, over in the chat. And like one of the words that Ernesto mentioned was understanding. So like, I, I look at situations because I'm, I'm very self-aware. I evaluate myself just as much as I do others or the business. So there are times when I delegate very well. I hand things off. They get done. It feels magic. And then we all come together. We all come together and celebrate. And then there are other times when I tend to fall into a micromanaging type role without trying to, right? But you can see it on people's faces. You can hear it in their voices. You can feel the anxiety in yourself when you're going, going into that mode. So I asked myself why, you know, why, if I'm handing something off to someone, would I not just trust them to get it done? And for me, trust was the biggest thing. So then I started drilling down further saying, okay, then why is there a lack of trust? And in what situations do I trust their, do I have a lack of trust in their ability to get it done? No, that's not typically it. Because if I'm choosing you to delegate it to, then I believe that you are completely capable and competent to get it done. But for me is when there feels, seems like there's a lack of understanding and I, and I'm practicing this too, when people delegate things to me. So if I delegate something to someone and they say, yeah, yeah, got it. And they walk off then it doesn't feel like a handshake, right? And everything should feel like a handshake in our service-based operational business, right? I have a need, I'm delegating to you. Now you let me know that you heard what I said and we share in the vision. Now we can shake hands and agree and we can go our separate ways. And I know that you know what I need. You know who the stakeholders are. You shake, you shake in my hand, like in a figurative, figurative sense by telling me what I need and what the vision is. So now I'm trusting you to do it and to follow up. But I owe that to my team as well. So I need to leave it open to see if they have questions or if there's anything that's not clear. So the handshake is something we should be doing in all aspects of our business. And actually, um, one of the biggest, I asked um, Chat GPT because I love AI now. I asked Chat GPT what are some of the top issues within a property management company within operations, and the number one thing that came up was communication, 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 inside the business and outside the business. The communication fails are not because things are so very difficult to get done. The fails are sometimes because there are so many competing priorities and so many transactions, 
but it's also because we missed the handshake, right? A client reaches out to ask about a work order. We get the email, we get the voicemail, but we don't tell that client, hey, received. Let me go find the answer on this. That's the handshake. We leave them waiting for three days until we solve it and then we come back. But if we put ourselves in their position, they've delegated management of their property to us. We left them, we went in this black box and they had no idea what was happening or how much it was gonna cost them because we didn't reach back out and acknowledge it and shake hands. So I think that that figurative handshake and building trust is how we strengthen not just our ability to be able to effectively delegate, but build the trust within operations to be able to take on more and more and more. Yeah, just to add on that, um, communication is key to the success of any business. I've worked with hundreds of businesses and what seems to be that link that either makes you or breaks you is communication. It is that piece of inner office communication and external communication. But you know, today as we're talking about communication, one of the first things that I like to let, ask each employee, one of the first things that I like to ask each employee is how best would you like to be communicated with? What is the most effective way for me to communicate with you? We have these communications with our owners oftentimes in this business. We'll ask them, what's the best way to get a hold of you? But are we asking each of our team members, what is the best way for me to communicate with you? I think that it's really important for us to establish those best practices within our organization and then to follow them so that they know that they're heard and they know that they are valuable and they know that they have a voice in our businesses and that they are have valuable contributions to be made that we will respect and we will hear. And so that communication piece in general, it builds that trust. It builds that ab ability to delegate effectively because we know that we're going to get that full, full circle back. Mm -hmm. The other piece with delegation is I like to allow my team member to go away with a plan and come back. You know, I'll tell them what the task is. I'll have them go away and create a plan of how they want to tackle that and then come back and report back, close the loop of that communication so that I know what's going on. They know what's going on. We can set the, this cadence of KPIs, but they get to take ownership at that point. Awesome. That's fantastic stuff. Thank you guys so much. All right. Let me move us to um, another question here. Oh, actually, before I do that, let me um, chime in one more thing on the whole abdication delegation. One of the things um, that I learned about was uh, what the Disney, what Disney, Walt Disney, and they have a leadership program called the Disney Institute, they call overmanagement. And I find it really interesting. And so they use that as sort of a contrast to micromanagement. And part of what they mean by it, you know, if you've ever been to Disney World or Disneyland, you know exactly what this means, right? Because from the moment you even pull into the parking lot, well, we'll, we'll see what, you know, what happens in Florida with the whole Ron DeSantis thing. But for now, <laughs> from the moment you pull into the parking lot, your whole experience is completely curated. I mean, just the way every smell, sound, sight, where you walk, where the plants are. I mean, just everything about it is designed with extreme intentionality. And so that's what they call overmanagement. And so I would say, well, none of us want to be micromanagers. It's okay that there are aspects of your business to say, yeah, but this part of the business we're going to overmanage, right? This part of the business, when it comes to client experience or whatever it is for you, that's that piece that just has to be just right. 
it's okay for the visionary of the company to put their fingerprints all over that and to make sure that their vision is being accomplished. So, so don't shy away from that. You just have to find ways to do it where you're still leaning into your who, not how with your team. All right, so the next question I want to ask here is, is once you identify a who on your team, uh, in other words, you identify a right person to get a thing done, how do you instill extreme ownership and accountability in your business? Uh, so some of the things we might talk about here are key performance indicators, uh, weekly progress meetings. We might circle back around to one-on-ones, right? But it's all about that coaching and accountability that's going to happen in your business. So um, Kelly and Andrea, what, what would you say about this? How are you going to instill extreme ownership and accountability? So for me, when I when I delegate something or when our you know our team is working on on something that's really important to the company, I want them to have full ownership in the winning and the losing. Right, right. That's how I know. That's how I know they have ownership and not just, oh, we feel bad because there was a loss, but we actually should be building in a capacity to try. And with that capacity to try new things comes the capacity to fail. We've got space where we're going to fail. Everything isn't going to, everything isn't going to go well. Some things are going to go much better than we expected. And my, so my vision is not to create a situation where the team can't fail. It is where they they fail fast and they fail forward, right? If you're gonna fail, go ahead and get it over with. Have fun doing it, but let's move forward and let's learn from that. Learn from that and do something more. So to create that ownership, I try to have extremely open conversations about what's working and what's not working, and I let the team bring it to me, right? Because I don't want to be in every single meeting and every single discussion. That that actually doesn't make sense, and it goes against delegating and putting like really smart and talented people in place to do what they do. But I do want to talk about why something didn't work and can we root cause it and be open, right? And I and I try to create this pattern in my company by talking about my failures. You know, when we lose a client. I'm going to be talking about it for like a few weeks and it's not to blame anyone, but it is to talk about like, what could I have done differently? Where did we drop the ball? And even if a client says, no, you guys are great. I'm just going in a different direction. Okay. That's fine. But now it's time to over communicate, get more information and let's continue to learn. Like how do we make ourselves completely indispensable to that client? So when you create those sorts of visions together and when your team is allowed to fail, when failure is, I don't want to say you're encouraging them to fail, but in some, some, sometimes you are. You're encouraging them to try, and if they fail, it's okay. I think that's how you create a, a whole lot of ownership. I think the other side is agreeing on what success looks like and what done looks like. And you all have probably been in situations where some big project gets started, whether you started it or you're a part of it, and then this project, like, never, it literally never ends right? It just becomes a way of doing business. It's just two years later, every Tuesday at 9.15, y'all are still getting together to talk about this because no one ever agreed on what done looked like. No one ever agreed on how to measure success. And um, Matt mentioned that the KPIs, the key performance indicators, I'm a big, big form, big fan of metrics. I think they're incredibly valuable. There is a book that I encourage you all to read. I use it as a reference guide and I did not read it from beginning to end because I don't typically do that. I jump, but there is a book called How to Measure Anything. The author's last name is Hubbard. And it talks about like in any situation, like 
it might not be the obvious thing that you measure, but how do you measure something that people can actually see and feel and sink their teeth in and you know when it's happening before it actually gets there? So How to Measure Anything is a really great book that I encourage you to, um, to keep in your back pocket. So that's the way I encourage ownership. We agree on the measurements. We agree on what done looks like. We allow ourselves room to fail. We talk about it and we recover. We recover quickly. And at some point, somebody's willing to like pull the plug on something and end it if it's just not working. I completely agree with all of that. I think a lot of times we stick in things, whether it be hold on to an employee longer than we should, or Mm -hmm. keep trying a technology longer than we should, or keep going with that owner longer than we should, or keep going with that tenant longer than we should. I think a lot of times we're so afraid to pull the plug and cut our losses that we end up creating a lot of frustration in our teams. So I love that you brought that up. I would say that extreme ownership is is critical in this business where you have a lot of moving pieces, you have a lot of responsibilities, you have a lot of very important roles, you have a lot of things that have to get done. You have legal layers and everything else in this business that make it absolutely critical that people are consistent that they are fair and that they are good at what they do all of the time. And so having a high standard and being able to hold people to that standard and having that extreme accountability is vital to the success of your business. That being said, how do you then create that? I would say that one of the ways that I create that extreme ownership is giving the time, the space and the keys over to that in individual so that they can create the plan. When they create the plan, they have more ownership, Mm -hmm. making sure they have buy-in to whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish. If I give someone a task or a new tool to implement or a new technology to learn or whatever it may be, I have to bring them along with me into the vision of the why. If they don't come along with the vision of the why, then they're not going to be able to take that extreme ownership that I need them to, to be able to run with it freely, openly, creatively to be successful. And so making sure I bring them along with the why. I also encourage each of my team members to evaluate themselves at the end of each portion of a task. What did I do well? What can I do better? And what tools can I put into place to be more successful next time? That self-evaluation gives them that empowerment to take control. So in our one-on-one, I'll say, hey, have you done your well, better, and tools? You know, have you done that yet? And allow them to then go through and, and pull it back into themselves rather than me trying to extrapolate it out of them all of the time. Last thing that I'll say on that is I really like the EOS strategies. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of rocks, very specific quarterly goals. There is a, an idea of what does complete look like. If it means that that rock then becomes a new rock next quarter, and that we're adding to that project next quarter, that's fine. But your goals that you set should be very specific. They should be smart goals. I'm sure you heard it a gazillion times, but they should be specific and they should be attainable and you should know what done looks like always. I completely agree with Andrea on that. Wow. I mean, there's not much. I feel like I can add here. You guys said such amazing things. The one piece um, that I would that I would kind of supplement here is to think through your overall meeting pulse, you know, in 
it can, what tends to happen in business is we just add a new meeting and add a new meeting and add a new meeting. And at some point you are realizing I'm just spending all my time in meetings. When am I actually getting work done? And, and there's a whole kind of thought process around what makes for a good meeting um, and having intentionality around what should be meetings, what shouldn't be meetings. And I would just say that that would be helpful to put some thought around that because this is where um, some of that uh, extreme ownership and accountability can happen is when you are getting that interactive time with your team. So, you know, Kelly, we've talked a lot about one-on-ones already. Um, there's a lot of accountability um, and extreme ownership that happens in one-on-ones, not not just one way, but both ways, right? The, the, this is a mutuality that's happening in that particular conversation. Um, it's also helpful to have, Kelly mentioned, under the EOS rhythm of using what EOS calls rocks or basically are just quarterly projects. And Andrea mentioned the importance of KPIs and measuring things. These things can come together really well in an effective weekly progress meeting, uh, what EOS calls a level 10 meeting, if any of you are familiar with that. But the whole point is, is have a sacred time once a week for your leadership team. Or I would say if your total staff size is six or less, then it's probably just an all hands meeting for your whole company and make it a sacred time. This happens. This exact time, every single week, everybody shows up, you you make your calendar around this meeting. And in that meeting, you're having those conversations, you're looking at your KPIs and your scorecard, and everybody's reporting on it. Yep, here's where the number is, here's where the number is. And then you're talking about why it worked or didn't work, what was off with that number, and kind of putting that on an issues list. And then same thing with those quarterly projects, right? Here's where we are, I'm either on track or off track with that. Um, if you're off track, why, what do you need help with? You know, what are you lacking? Solving those problems to have that accountability to keep moving forward. And then the other thing I'd say about accountability is, is like, sometimes it comes across like a four letter word and it's not, not at all. Um, you know, when people are not getting the job done, so to speak, you always have to start with, uh, things like, do you have enough resources? You know, do we have a process for this? Did you understand the process? Is there enough training around the process? Uh, do you have capacity and bandwidth, right? Like never just go straight to blaming somebody for, oh, you're just lazy. You just don't do the job. And not that anybody here would use that language, but sometimes we communicate in a way that that's the message we're giving. And But what we actually want to do is provide good leadership to figure out what is the real problem behind the problem here that needs to be solved uh, to get them back on track and to have that accountability because the reality is, is your A players actually want accountability. Uh, they want that help and resource and feedback uh, to know that they're on track with where they need to be. Uh, bonus question uh, that I have here, and Kelly and Andrea, we didn't talk about this last time. We have just a few minutes left, but we're going to throw this out here. Uh, one of the things that I like to think a lot about is, and I'll just ask the question, it's not only should you ask who, not how, but also ask, how are you a who for others, right? Um, so the who, not how question, can be turned on its head. Like a lot of times, again, you start with this idea of, I have a problem that I need to solve. Instead of saying, how do I solve it? You ask, who do I need to solve it? And now I want to encourage you to all spend time to think about when other people have problems, what are the problems they have that you are the right who? And again, Kelly and Andrea, this is a bonus question, but do you guys have any reactions, thoughts about that? What do you think about that question? I mean, I think about that a lot as a consultant <laughs> and I'm sure you do too, Matthew, of yeah. like, <laughs> where are the ways that, and I probably should have introduced myself. Hi everybody. I'm Kelly. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, please do. Take, take a minute, Kelly. 
I am the founder of K Segreto Consulting. I'm a property management uh, consultant by trade. I've been in this industry for 20 years and I help businesses with everything from team collaboration to building out their processes, uh, standardizing their businesses, very operation focused. So that's a little bit about me. So I think for me, a lot of times when I'm listening to people and I'm talking to them, I am thinking about that in a, in a two-way track because it's like TWLX last year, one of the really great takeaways that I got out of this convention last year was that opportunity to say, Hey, these are the things that I'm really great at. I've already mastered and I can offer you. These are the things that I'm looking for. Hey, does anybody have anything that they can help me with this piece that I'm trying to add to my business and then matched those people together? Because there are so many things that each of us have already mastered and there are so many things each of us still have to learn. And so I think if I'm thinking about what are the things that I can help you with, that's part of any conversation. That's part of any, any one-on-one that I'm having, any conversation with my daughter, like (laughs) there's always that question, but I think the important thing is when you're listening to someone, the first thing I like to ask is, Hey, is this something you just want me to listen to? Or is this something you'd like me to help you solve? Because I think sometimes people just want to vent and I respect that a hundred percent. And I will not just throw all of my anecdotes at you. If what you want is just to tell me what's going on. But I think there are those opportunities where people are asking for help and they're asking for input. And, and those are the, the times where it's appropriate to share and to, to give and to think of whether you're that who that fills that seat for them. Awesome. Uh, Andrew, I'm going to give you the last word. Uh, but before I do, just real quick, uh, again, everybody, thanks for being here. As we mentioned, Andrea uh, does consulting. She also has a wonderful book. I don't know if, Andrea, you want to drop that in the chat real quick or show. Yeah. There's Andrea's book, so uh, so feel free to check that out. Kelly Segreto with Kelly Segreto Consulting. Uh, she's easy to find on Facebook and track her down. Um, I'm Matthew Trigali, the CEO of Better Who. I'm also easy to find on Facebook or any of you can reach out to me, Matthew at betterwho.com. We also do a variety of um, consulting and uh, remote team member placements. All right, Alex probably about to kick us out of the room, but Andrea, last Last uh, word here. Two things about me. One, I'm a date you not marry you. So bring me in for short term stuff. But you want to get married, find somebody else to help you. And two, two, you can I'm marry me, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can marry Kelly. You can date me and I'll prep you to marry Kelly. Uh, the other thing is I'm really good with a lot of when it's a lot of stuff and you need to identify the powerful pieces and start pulling a strategy together. I can come together and help you do that. And then do short-term stuff to get you the momentum going, but then you got to go to somebody like Kelly to marry you if you want the maintenance part of it. Thanks, everybody. I'm so glad you all joined us for this panel. Hope you got some good value out of it. And, um, and again, feel free to reach out to any of us anytime. Thank you all. And that wraps up another episode of the Triple Win Property Management Podcast. Thank you for pressing play. We hope you've gained valuable insights and inspiration. The Triple Win Property Management Podcast is proudly produced and distributed by Second Nature, where we believe in a triple win, building winning experiences for your residents, investors, and your teams with the only fully managed resident benefits package. Visit rbp.secondnature.com to learn more and talk to an RBP expert in your area. If you have any questions, comments, or want to weigh in on the conversation, we'd love to hear from you. Email triplewin at secondnature.com. That's triplewin at secondnature.com. 
Stay connected with us beyond the podcast. Visit our website at rbp.secondnature.com to stay updated with upcoming property management events and articles. And don't forget, you can keep the conversation going in the Triple Win Property Management Facebook group. It's exclusively for property managers. To receive even more valuable insights and updates, subscribe to our newsletter. You can find the link to that and much more in the show notes. On behalf of the Triple Win community, this is Laura Mack thanking you for tuning in. And on behalf of Second Nature, this is Carol Housel. Check back soon for another exciting episode. Until then, keep striving for that triple win.